We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now this was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending that after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, again, uh, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Welcome. We're glad you're here. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, It's good to be with you as we kind of get back into Acts. So we jumped back in last week, and we're going to continue on today. Uh, let Let me just pray for us, and we'll look at what God's Word has for us this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you today with gratitude, God, for our own fathers and the men who have shaped us. Imperfect though they have been, we give you thanks. We also come knowing our inadequacy, and so I pray for the men who are here young and old. I pray for courage, for humility, for wisdom. I pray that we would daily die to ourselves in order to love those around us. And Father, we also come knowing so much heartache, and so we pray for those who want to be fathers but aren't, bring comfort. We pray for those who have lost their dads or husbands and feel the hole that death leaves us, bring hope. We pray for those who have had lousy fathers and who feel the ongoing wounds, tensions, or estrangement. Would you bring healing? And for all of us, Lord God, regardless of our experience, would you be a father to us? The perfect dad that we long for. The one who will never abandon us, never hurt us, never let us down. We long for the kind of father only you can be. And so, Help us rest now together in your love. And as we come to your word this morning, help us to see you more clearly, yes, as our Father, but also as our sovereign King. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's summer break. Three and a half weeks in, my kids are still alive. Feels like we're winning. Um, and, you know, regardless of, like, your experience, maybe, I mean, we're all kind of enter this season differently, whether you have kids at home or not. Um, it could be a little, it could be a little crazy, right? This, this transition and all that. I, uh, most, most time, my kids, they're, they're at the age where they can kind of just play together, and on a good day, they'll go off and they'll just disappear. And, uh, you know, though, it's, it's those moments when it gets, like, too quiet, like, that's when you, like, start to go and, like, check in on them. Like, because you just know something is up. I half expect some time to look out the window and see uh, something like this happening in our backyard. Yep. Uh, ex- except in our scenario, it would be Eden at the top um, and David, her big brother at the bottom, say, come on, just try it, right? I mean, who's in charge in that situation? And maybe, maybe you've, you've, you know, I've got good kids, right? They're, they're good kids, right? Most of the time. Yeah, yeah, give or take. Um, but you know, you've, you probably had those moments where you like, you walk into a room, maybe it's at school or a party, maybe it's at work, right? And you just sort of wonder like, who, who's running things? Like, like, like surely somebody is in charge in this moment and you just, you see the chaos, you sense what's happening. You're just like, like who, who's in charge? 
And it's, it's one thing to talk about Calvin and Hobbes or the chaos of summer break, but like, I mean, turn on the news. Look around our world. Who has nuclear capabilities? How much is our nat- national debt? When will be the next tragedy? Or maybe even just, just look at your own you know, family experiences, the people closest to you, your close, close friends, the heartache, the troubles, the, the suffering that we, we all experience. And there, there are those moments, aren't there, where we just we want to know, is anyone calling the shots? Is there someone out there anywhere, whether you're a Christian or not, right? You've had these, these moments where you've like, is anybody in charge? And there are those times when I'm just, I want to know so badly, when things begin to fall apart or I feel the pressures around me, I just, I want to know, is Jesus really in charge? And just imagine what it must have been like for the early church. Because, because in many ways, I think for some of us, like we, we kind of assume that the early church, like those people who lived way back then, they could just believe anything, right? Of course they believe in Jesus. Easy peasy, mac and cheesy. Like it's, it just came natural, right? They're, they're uneducated, super, like we kind of have that sort of chronological snobbery, like when we look back at people. But you gotta, you gotta imagine their world for a second and the things that were heaped against them in believing and following this guy named, named Jesus. And so we, we've been studying the book of Acts if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. We're in chapter 12 uh, today. We started in January, but we took a break for a couple of months to look at Galatians. It's one of the, the key documents of the early church. Like we wanted to understand like what, what is this church being built upon? And, and so we're now, now we're, we're back in Acts. And if you recall, Acts is the origin story of the church. It's what Jesus' first followers did after he left. It's how we got to where we are today. And so you've, you've got to picture them in that context. Because first, they got their hopes up that Jesus was going to establish his kingdom, his rule, right then and there, right? I mean, that's what they, they assumed. It's, it's happening, all of our hopes and dreams finally coming true, and then he's executed. And yes, they, they see him come back to life again, which is kind of a big deal, right? And so you can imagine that that was, that was big for them, but then he leaves, just sort of floats off to heaven. Great. Now what? So that, that's how the book of Acts begins. And yet even so, with Jesus departing, there, there's this picture early on of Jesus like on the throne in heaven ruling over his universe, right? And he, he sends his Holy Spirit. The message is spreading. And now in the story, like thousands and thousands of people believe in this guy named Jesus. And we're only maybe 10, 15 years after the resurrection. Still fairly early, and yet it's spreading like wildfire. Even Paul, who tried to kill the Christians, is now one of us. Even, even Cornelius, who we talked about last week, right? This, this outsider, this, this Gentile, this guy who, who you wouldn't think belongs. Even he now is part of, part of the church, and you see Jews and Gentiles there together, worshiping together. I mean, this is the first time in history. It's, like, it's incredible. Things have never been better. Of course Jesus is king. That's when it's easiest to believe, right? Life is good, so of course God is good. Right? And then suffering begins raining down upon them. 
And yeah, they, they experienced some of this before, right? They had some light persecution early on, and I'm not making light of that. They had some jail time. Even Stephen was, was killed, right? I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. And yet all that was done by the Jewish religious leaders, and their power is limited, right? They're, they're not that big of a deal. But now in this story, the Roman Empire gets involved. They want in on the action. I mean, the Roman Roman Empire people, like the the most powerful kingdom of the ancient world, and they get what they want, and they want the Christians gone. It shouldn't be that hard. And so imagine those first Christians living this story out. They are desperate to know. And you and I, 2,000 years later, are desperate to know. Is anyone in charge? Is anyone really ruling things? Is Jesus really the king? And so go to, go to the story with me. Uh, we, we read the first part, and Luke tells it with bookends. In fact, they, they seem like, like, if you just read this chapter, you may not like, see what's the connection here, but he, he starts with these and ends with, with bookends, right? He starts with Herod and he ends with Herod. And it's got this, this crazy story in the middle. And it's because he's trying to answer that question. Is Herod in charge? Because that's what it feels like in this story. Is Herod in charge? Is it the Romans? The North Koreans? The politicians? The cancer? Who's really calling the shots? And so Herod the king, he's the, the ruler under the authority of the Romans over all of Judea, okay? So he's empowered by the Romans to rule this this section of of the Roman Empire. And and that name Herod might sound a little familiar to some of you, right? I feel like I've heard of that guy. Well, that's because there were a lot of them back then. Uh, In fact, here's a little chart just to make it a little bit easier. Uh, And so first first off, you have Herod the Great. He's like the original. Um, And he he was the one that was in power when Jesus was born. Okay, so you might know the story, like he's, he's the one who tried to kill baby Jesus by killing all those other babies, sort of the less fun Christmas story, right? Um, so that's, that's Herod the Great, right, was bent on destroying Jesus. Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas, he, he's the one who essentially finishes the job, I mean, he thought, 30 or so years later with a, a cruel cross, right? He crucifies Jesus. And now in our story, we have Herod Agrippa who wants to destroy Jesus' followers. And so this is grandson of the first Herod. He's nephew to the one who helped kill Christ. And like, I mean, think about it. Like hating Christians at this point, it's just part of the family tradition, right? His grandpa tried to kill Jesus. His uncle succeeded. And now he's going to finish the job. And so verse, verse 1 begins. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So James and John, from the Gospels, right? Peter, James, and John, they're kind of the big three. They're sort of a big deal. But James now, he's, he's murdered. And Luke tells us he's killed with the sword. And it's not just some gruesome detail that he's add for our, you know, twisted curiosities. Like that, he's making a statement that things have changed now. This isn't, this isn't the same as before. Like when Stephen was killed, yes, it was a big deal, but Stephen was stoned and I'm not minimizing how horrible that would, would have been, but that means it was a religious execution, right? Now it's by the sword, which means it is a political execution. 
Now it, it comes with the weight of the Roman Empire behind it. This is, this is not the same thing anymore. You see, Christianity at this point, it's, it's grown too fast, and these new Christians, thousands of them, they keep referring to Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, this former carpenter, this one that they already destroyed as their king. Not Herod. Not the Roman emperor. And that's dangerous. And so this is, this is no small attack. This is a statement that Rome is done with Jesus' people. And so verse 3. And when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And then verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him. Was made to God. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I mean, this should be it. God's plan, over and done with. I mean, the Romans, they get what they want, right? You and I here today, like, we should have never heard of this guy named Jesus. And yet, what Luke is showing us here is that Herod only thinks he's in charge. And he's pretty well convinced but we'll see, we'll see other ways. In fact, what God, I think, has for us this morning through these stories that are, that are wrapped together in this text in chapter 12, what he wants us to see is that nothing can stop the true king. It's, it's what he, he wanted them to understand in those moments of the experience. It's what he wants us 2,000 years later to grab onto that nothing, nothing can stop the true king. And there, there's three ways in particular that we see this in this, this story. First, first we see that not even our suffering can stop him. Do you believe that? I mean, because there's, there's nothing we hate more, right, than suffering. And I, I, I've got to tell you, like, I am, I'm convinced that one of the greatest deficiencies in the American church, in particular the white American church, so if that describes you as it describes me, one of the greatest deficiencies for us is that we have such a flimsy view of suffering. Like, when it happens, we're like, we're shocked by it. Like, we're so surprised when our plans don't go the way we thought they would, and it hurts us so deeply. And I'm, not, I'm not minimizing the fact that there's real pain out there, but when it happens to us, we so quickly we assume God is dead, or he doesn't care, or that we've done something wrong. I mean, the reality is, I live such a comfortable life that I can so easily forget how broken our world is. Which is something other people in other cultures experience every day. And with that, I begin to forget as well that nothing ever surprises God. And so when, when, when it happens, when the suffering, when the pain comes, like my tendency, I panic, I retaliate, I'm tempted to lose my faith altogether. We forget that nothing surprises God. And we forget that he is, he is able to take even the very worst things that our world has to offer. And some of us have experienced the very worst. That he is able to take those things and somehow, in ways I can't even imagine, begin to make them beautiful. And that not even our suffering can stop him. 
Which, which means that whatever, whatever you're going through right now, or will one day go through. And, and let, me, let me even just say, like, God never minimizes our pain. I mean, it's one of the things that I love about the Christian scriptures. Like, it never, like, God never tells us to suck it up or just, you know, your pain isn't real. Just ignore it. It'll go away. Like, never minimizes. In fact, our God knows what it's like. He hung on a cross. He knows how brutal this human life can be and how difficult it is. He knows. He never, never tells you to minimize it. And yet you and I both, we need to know Whatever you go through, it will not stop him from accomplishing his plan for your life. Your illness, your loneliness, your infertility or depression, your broken family, your upbringing, your regrets. Don't make light of your pain, but daily remind yourself nothing can stop the true king. Not even my suffering. Okay, so back to the story. Now's the fun part. Because uh, Peter's in jail waiting to die. I mean, that's not the fun part. Uh, you got to wait for it a second here. Uh, but like, imagine him there in, in prison. It's the middle of the night. He's bound with two chains. He's sleeping in between two guards, and there are other guards guarding the door. Soldiers. In verse 7, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Does anybody remember the show Touched by an Angel? Remember that? Yeah. Peter does it. Like, Peter is kicked by an angel, right? I mean, I love, I love the details of this. I imagine this angel, like, somehow he's in the jail. And like, get up, I'm here, let's go, right? And, and, he, and he, tells, he tells Peter, like, get dressed. Like, I'm not gonna be seen with you like this. And one of like, Peter's like, would you at least turn around? Or, I mean, it's just an awkward story, right? All these, all these details. And then, and then they, they walk out of prison together. And even, even Peter in the moment doesn't believe what's happening. I mean, Luke tells us that. Verse, verse 9, and he, Peter, went out and followed the angel. He did not know what, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. He just assumed he was dreaming. I mean, of course he did, right? And, and so they get out. The angel leaves, and there, there's Peter. He finally sort of wakes up. He comes to himself, and, and by, by now, he begins to realize, I mean, that was, that was pretty cool, Right? And it says, when, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting, meaning, I'm sure, his execution. I mean, it's pretty sweet, right? He was going to be dead in the morning, and now he's skipping back to his friends with a killer story, right? I got kicked by an angel, Right? And so he, he goes to the house where he knows there'll be a bunch of Christians hanging out, or probably more likely hiding out, right, given the persecution of that time. And so he's knocking on the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda, Luke tells us, comes to the gate. And Rhoda, I mean, bless her heart, like she just gets so excited in the moment that it says that she, recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. 
Like, I mean, you know, I just like, Peter's like busting at the sea. First of all, he's trying to hide, right? He's on the lamb. He's, he doesn't want to be standing out there with the Roman army chasing after him, right? But also, he's just got a killer story to tell. And they, I mean, just pick, um, hello, Rhoda. Um, verse, verse 15, when she gets in the house, Rhoda, they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, nah. It's just his angel. So they've been praying for Peter, right? So Luke just told us in verse five, dear Jesus, be with Peter. We love that guy. Not now, Rhoda. We're trying to pray, right? What are you talking about? Get out of here. God, if you could just bring him back to us, that'd be great. Rhoda, you've lost your mind. Rhoda, it's just his ghost. He's gone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we laugh, but you can't blame them. Because you know they prayed for James. And James is dead. We can't figure out how prayer works all the time, right? And it certainly doesn't always work out the way we want it to. Because I'm sure every one of us in this room have prayed for something at some point and been utterly disappointed by the results. And don't, don't let anyone tell you, well, if you just had enough faith, God would answer your prayers. Because don't forget, Jesus prayed in the garden and God said no to him. I think he had enough faith. And they prayed for James, these same people, they prayed for Peter. And for James, they said no. And for Peter, they said yes. And prayer is a mystery to say the least. And again, I think you and I, we, we tend to believe that these folks would have just believed anything, right? So gullible, right? But do you notice in the story, like, none of them even living this story believe it when it's happening, like the people praying, they don't have a category for this happening. Even, even Peter, as he's being released, is like, this is just a dream, right? They, they, they don't have a category for this. And, and I re- realize for us here, like, oh my goodness. I mean, this feels so far-fetched, doesn't it? It just, it just seems ridiculous. This has, it feels like a legend, doesn't it? And do you want to you know one of the reasons why I believe it's true? Because why would you make it up? I mean, if you were to invent a religion about this guy named Jesus in this early church with these followers, why would you make them a bunch of, bunch of fumbling, unbelieving weaklings? Like, if you were to make a legend about these, these founders, like, why would you make them so lame? I mean, unless it's just the way it really happened. Meanwhile, we've left Peter out there. Poor guy. Fugitive of Rome, knocking on the gate guys? And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Because nothing can stop the true king. Not even our weakness can stop him. One of the things I love most about the story, I mean, both the humor and, you know, Luke is right. I mean, he's telling the truth here, right? He's writing it as it happened, but yet you can tell he's just bringing out these details, chuckling as he writes, right? Because it's ridiculous. But one of the reasons I love this story is because it just, it feels like me. Fumbling in my prayer. Doubtful in my belief. 
and so ridiculously weak. But Jesus isn't. In fact, theologian N.T. Wright, he summarizes it like this. He says, I find all this strangely comforting because Luke is allowing us to see the early church for a moment, not as a bunch of great heroes and heroines of the faith, but as the same kind of muddled, half-believing, faith one minute and doubt the next sort of people as most Christians we all know, as most of us in this room. Because that's us people. And so I just, I just want to ask, where do you think you're too weak for God to work? Or where, where have you convinced yourself that you're, you're disqualified? I'm too old, too young. My doubts are too strong. My temptation's too big. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not articulate enough to, to share my faith. I'm not smart enough to make a difference. My past is too ugly. I mean, if any of that describes you, then, I mean, you sound exactly like the kind of person this king prefers to work with. Because it's in our weakness in which he is strongest. And not even our weakness, our fumblings, our failures, our doubts, our sins, not even those things can stop him. And then in the third part of the story, Luke, he brings us back to Herod. Remember, it's these bookends, right? And I think it's the only way to understand this end because it feels so random. Like, why are you talking about Herod all of a sudden, right? But you gotta understand that's where he started. Because again, he wants us to know who exactly is in charge. Herod started this persecution. Peter is fine, but what, what's gonna happen? I mean, there still is the question, yeah, okay, great for Peter, but what about the rest of the church? Is, is Jesus really in charge? Is he really the king? Or is, are we still worried about Herod and all the, all the other evil rulers who would follow him? And then in chapter 12, at the end, this strange scene, Herod basically crosses the line. I mean, the, the, people, the people around him, so this is a different scene, right? And that's why it feels so random if you don't understand the context. But it's like, people, they, they, they see his power and they're just, they're overwhelmed. Oh man, this Herod guy, he is so, he's so incredible, right? Uh, in fact, the early historian Josephus, he also records the same story. Um, so he's, he's not a biblical writer. He's writing outside that time. But he, he talks about the same scene when Herod is, is out there trying to like bask in his own insignificant glory. Josephus says that he dressed in, in like white or silver so that the sun would come off of him and he'd just, you know, glow like a god. And so all, all the peasants, right, they're convinced and they begin to, to praise him as a god and, and Herod just basks in it. This murderer, this tyrant, this one who is bent on destroying God's plan. But in verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms, interesting detail, and breathed his last because nothing, not even Rome, not even Herod, though he's the third Herod to try. No ruler, nothing of such incredible power, nothing can stop the true king, not even our earthly kingdoms. I need that reminder. When you flip on the news, you look at the mess around us in our world. So not our suffering, not our weakness, and not even the powers around us. And and what what are the most powerful things that you can think of, the things that keep you awake at night? I mean, there's no match. 
North Korea can't stop him. The United States, our own leaders can't stop him. Terrorists, volcanoes, cancer, broken relationships, nothing. For the early church, persecuted now by the most powerful empire on the planet. But look how Luke ends this story. His closing thoughts of all that we've just covered. Verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. And you say, many, many scholars would point to this as like a turning point in the book of Acts. In some ways, like Act one is over, now we're moving into Act two next week. Like this is a, this is a break because, because everything up to this point in the book of Acts has been essentially about Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, right? The, the closest parts to where the events actually happen. But now the persecution, right? They begin to, to spread out, right? They know that there's too much danger and so they're at risk and they go into all these other places all over the world and they begin planting churches everywhere, all over the known world, eventually all the way to us you and me here 2,000 years later. And even today, if you look at the places where Christians are persecuted most, places like China or the Middle East, even there, the message of Jesus increases and multiplies because nothing can stop the true king. But do you believe that? Oh. It's hard, isn't it? Especially in those difficult moments. But if you do believe it, or you at least want to believe it, then what are we, what are we supposed to do about it? Well, nothing can stop him. And so we join him. We pray. Prayer. Which I know, like, some of you are like, oh, that's the answer, right? I mean, it just sounds so churchy, it's so predictable. It's kind of almost anticlimactic in a story like this. But th- that is what they do. And look at what God does. Because, because the reality is, for every one of us in this room, regardless of what you believe, in those moments when things fall apart, you are going to turn to something or someone to save you. Right? You're, you're going to pray somewhere, right? It might be, you know, take a few more vitamins or, or run to all the, the doctors, save a little bit more money. You know, it might, it might be trying to, you know, find your identity and other things. It might be turning to alcohol to numb you or, or food or entertainment to distract you. Like every one of us, we're all prayers. Every one of us is going to turn to something to tell us it's going to be okay. That you're going to be okay, that I'm going to be okay, that the world's going to be okay. You are going to look somewhere. Why not turn here? And some of you, maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, but I'm just so bad at that. It's really hard. I forget. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. It's, it's messy when I try. Or my faith is just too weak. My sins are too great. My doubts overcome me. But look at this story. These people are a mess. But they run to him anyway. And so where will you go? I mean, the reality is, if you're, if you're worried and afraid, which I think many of us are m- much of the time, if you're worried and, af- and afraid and don't pray, are you, are you sure you're not an atheist? Because we have a king who has come, 
who invites us to himself, who, who welcomes us, as we saw in Galatians, not just as subjects, but as sons and daughters before him. And he wants to listen. He wants to intervene. And nothing can stop him. Not even a cross. I mean, not even death itself where he died for you. Not even the grave itself where he came out of the ground for you and now he wants to hear from you. Let him into your pain, your fear, your disappointment, your frustrations. Nothing can stop the true king. John Newton, the great hymn writer, once wrote, he says, thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. So why don't we do that right now? I want to I pause and take some time, no rush, to actually do what they did, to pray. And so what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll pray a little bit and then I'll cue you to pray silently where you sit, just silently by yourself, whatever comes to your mind. And then I'll pray a little bit more and I'll cue you up to, to pray a little bit as well. And we'll do that a few times um, as we continue on um, together. So let's, let's pray together to our King. Lord Jesus, you are our King. Not our problems, not our fears, not our rulers, not our inadequacy or failures, not the things that we think make us good enough or better than others. You are our king, and nothing can stop you. And so we believe together that not even our suffering can stop you, and yet it hurts us. For many of us here, we are overwhelmed and afraid, and so in this moment, we give our heartache to you. And so church, tell your king what those things are and give them to him. Gracious King, we believe together not even our weakness can stop you, and we are so weak. Our doubts, our fears, inadequacies, and sins, and yet by your grace, none of it disqualifies us. Instead, would you use those things to change us and to make us and our world more beautiful? So church, tell your King where you feel weak, where you need help, and give those things to him.
Sovereign King, we also believe that nothing is more powerful than you. Not our little kingdom in the United States or our rulers. Not the powers of this world around us for nothing compares to your sovereignty. And so would you help us? So church, confess your fears. Pray for Christians who are persecuted. Pray for our nation and world. And finally, Lord Jesus, King Jesus, may your word increase and multiply within us and around us. And would you even use us? For we praise you that you are on the throne, perfect and powerful, loving and just, that even, even though we, we don't understand it and there are things that happen that we would, we would do otherwise, even so, we trust that you rule the universe that you have made. And one day you will return and reign fully and you will make all things new. And so because of that, we rejoice, we rest, and we trust. And we ask that you continue to teach us to pray as you taught your disciples to pray. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. The words are on the screen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Amen. As you have been fed at this table, go to feed the hungry. As you have been set free, go to set free the imprisoned. As you have received, give. As you have heard, proclaim. And the blessing that you have received from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be always with you. Amen. Go in peace.